Hi, this is Gil Carandang. I'm from the Philippines. I'm a natural farmer. And welcome to the Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome, welcome to The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. And thanks for joining me today on The Probiotic Life, where we talk all about microbes and the microbial connections in the soil and our health. And for me, part of that is really coming into, coming back to natural farming. Um, it's been something that I've been growing in interest in. And, you know, it's the connection between uh, nature, between the soil, between our health, um, and it ties, it ties it all in really well, um, in my opinion. So the probiotic life is a lot about natural farming, and that's what we're going to be talking to, uh, to, about to today, to Gil Carandang. And um, if you haven't heard of him before, he's a... Uh, a natural farmer, some say like one of the fathers of modern day natural farming. Uh, he's studied all over the place. Um, he's studied permaculture, biodynamics, um, and studied Korean natural farming as well under Master Cho. And his website was one of the first websites that I really uh, heard more about oh, brewing up micro- your own microbes Um indigenous microbes and all this sort of stuff. So we get to have a a great chat with him. I had a great interview with him. Um, I love his uh, uh, inspiration. He's very inspiring Um, and he's he's just fun, cheeky and uh, he's a smart dude. He knows knows a lot about a lot of different things. He's actually a Fulbright scholar and an organic farmer. Um, He's studied, what else has he done? Uh, he he did a uh, a degree in ecological horticulture from the University of California Santa Cruz. Uh, he owns Herbana Farms in the Philippines. Uh, he's studied under John Jevons as well, uh, as as well as done a lot of other um, different studies around the world. Uh, like he he will um, talk about mainly in um, America, but around the world, Japan and Korea as well. So. Um, yeah, he, he knows a lot about how to grow food, how to grow um, stuff health, healthily, sustainable, regenerative, and uh, that's why I wanted to talk to him. So um, join me as we talk to um, Gil Carringdan. And actually, I want to mention too, uh, I asked him about the one of the projects that he's um, doing or, or starting, which is in Lake Taal in the Philippines, which actually just blew up in a massive volcano on the, uh, I think it was the 12th or the 16th, the 12th of January. So um, fortunately he wasn't there, um, but the entire 
inner crater uh, is gone of that Lake Tal and his island, Laurel Island, that he's, he's starting this new eco-village on is actually inside the exclusion zone. So he's not able to even go back there at the moment. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's um, since I recorded the interview until now, that's what's happened. Um, but there you go. Also, some of the other stuff that we mentioned in there, the uh, there's a PDF of his, um, his little book that he mentions, and I'll put that in the links, um, as well as links to um, some information from his old website. So without further ado, let's get right into this interview with Gil Carandang. Our guest today is uh, a, you could call him a modern day father of natural farming. And I uh, saw his website as one of the first introductions to natural farming I had. He's studied all around the world in um, Japan and Korea and the US. uh, And he is here to talk to us all about natural farming today. So welcome to the show, Gil Karandang. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Hi. Um, So you were telling me that you've traveled to um, another place to do some some farming, uh, setting up some farming here. Is that right? Where are you today? Well, uh, currently I'm at the farm right now. I am supposed to go to a new project in one of the island, a small island here in Lake Taal, the famous Taal volcano and lake but I decided to stay at the farm to talk to you today. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so you, uh, you're from the Philippines, but from what I've uh, heard about you, Gil, you've, you've uh, traveled all around the world to learn about um, natural farming. Is that right? Uh, in a way, yes. But uh, most of the time, uh, a good chunk of my time was spent in the U.S. before I changed my direction in life following the path of this sustainability, uh, following sustainable agriculture and the basic element that I've learned and really focus on is on the natural farming technique. Oh, I see. Well, so, so take us back. What, what, was, what drew you in the first place to um, go to the U.S. or what were some of the defining moments that, that really you were like, oh, I, I need to follow this path? Well, uh, I, I, I would say that I had a, a midlife crisis. I've been living in the States for 16 years. And at one point in time, I started to ask, is there anything more meaningful than a nine to five job? And at that time, the environmental movement is kind of noisy. And I, I thought I would join the, the bandwagon, like plant a tree, save the whale, etc. But uh, eventually I decided I should follow the path of sustainable agriculture at that time through organic farming. So I just simply pack up and move from Southern California to Northern California at the Bay Area and learn some basic organic uh, technique from the famous uh, John Jevons of the famed bio-intensive uh, mini farming technique. And after that, I went back to the Philippines to share what I'd learned and started the farm. And uh, that was in 1995. In 2000, 
we had the opportunity to our organization, the Organic Producer Trade Association, to bring in Dr. Cho of the Korean Natural Farming in the Philippines. And I attended, uh, I believe, three of his basic uh, workshops. And that's the beginning of this natural farming uh, endeavor that I followed. Oh, okay. So, so you were partly inspired by uh, John Jevons and the biointensive, and then you went back to the Philippines and ended up getting to to meet um, Master Cho. Yes, yes. But at the same time, uh, that was in two thousand. Then in two thousand two, I went back to America and uh, took further study as a Fulbright Scholar in University of California in Santa Cruz, where actually John Jebons learned the, the biointensive technique from the famed uh, Alan Chadwick, only to find out that <laughs> what I initially learned from Jebons actually originated in the, the Chadwick Garden in Santa Cruz in California. And at that point in time, I also shared the natural farming technique that I learned from Dr. Cho. So technically, I would say that I brought in the idea of natural farming in the U.S. Okay, because at that point in time, at, at that time, Dr. Cho was not really transferring his uh, knowledge of natural farming in the U.S., but mainly on developing countries. But since I've learned something from him, and I was there already in California, so I started to share it with my co-apprentices in Santa Cruz. Interesting. So you were cross-pollinating ideas. Yeah, I, and and that also what brought me, I think, in two thousand nine to Hawaii. Right, and that's where you met up with the uh, some of the uh, Korean natural farming people over there. Is that right? That is really interesting. They invited me to do a workshop in Hawaii, and I told them that, I mean, you know, I don't need. I mean, you 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 already been to learn something from Dr. Cho. I mean, I mean, I'm all, I'm just one of his students. So why don't you simply invite him there? You know, and he said, "Oh, we want you because you have tropical experience and you know how to speak English." <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that brought me to the big island in Hilo, and I shared that information. In fact, in fact, I didn't realize even now, my son told me that one of my students was Drake, who was really promoting natural farming in Hawaii, and now I heard in the mainland, U.S. Right, yeah, we have, we've had uh, Drake on the podcast, um, as well as Chris Trump. So we've talked about Korean natural farming. I've been learning the... Um, the different um, methodologies of Korean natural farming for a couple of years now. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, And the reason why is because of this sort of idea of the podcast, the probiotic life. How can we support Mm -hmm. life? How can we let uh, Mother Nature do her thing and support her rather than um, putting what we want to do on her? I guess that's the main reason. Yeah, it's like working with nature rather than against nature. That's the whole concept that we learn from natural farmer greats like Masunabo, Fukuoka, etc. Mm-hmm. So, what, what, where was one um, experience that really sort of, 
either changed your mind or or you had a revelation like, oh, wow, this is very important. This is what we need to be doing is the natural farming. Well, since I came back to the Philippines uh, in 1995, uh, I didn't learn or practice natural farming till 2000. So I've been attempting the appropriate technology to get rid of the chemical in farming. And uh, I was not making any money. Uh, I was not making any dent in uh, pretty much in terms of production and yield. So I tried to study what other ways to do farming, sustainable agriculture without the using of chemical. And I believe it's really this microbials, this natural farming focus on the microbes mm. that is really revolutionizing the the farming system without the use of chemicals because it has really delivered the appropriate income yield that most farmer is interested on, not just on the issue of ecological sustainability, taking care of our environment. I learned something from Jan Jebons, the intensive technique. Mm. It has delivered a lot of these answers, but yet I think the combination of these techniques Great techniques of Chadwick and Dr. Cho is what really creates a better, simpler, and more productive yield, which is the main concern of any farmer. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's really the, the natural way of growing food in consonance with the natural system rather than against the natural system. And that's basically the philosophical impact of this part of sustainable agriculture. Uh, there's just so many ways, biodynamic, grains intensive, etc. But I think the entry of the focus of microbials is what creates the big dent in terms of productivity and simplicity. Mm. And that was really got me into this uh, natural farming thing. Okay. So, and, and you were applying all these or uh, technologies on your farm? Is it Herbana Farm? Yeah, in fact, uh, I kind of developed my own version or system uh, incorporating uh, the available sustainable agricultural practices with a high focus on the microbial, which is the focus of natural farming. I did some variation to make things simple, and not as costly. In fact, when I was in Hawaii, I was talking to Dr. Park, the one that brought me there also in Hawaii. And when I presented the workshop, he said, your technique is very similar to the sign of Dr. Cho. You make it simple, mm. and I use less uh, sugar. And in fact, the Jadam you know, technique uh, tried to do away with the sugar thing. Mm -hmm. And that technique I already learned when I was I apprenticed with one natural farmer in Japan. It's very really, really interesting that he was uh, growing uh, organic eggs and he will buy raw materials for feeds. And he will ask me, "Oh, go to the go go get a handful of liter from the bamboo and add it to our feed mix, and then we ferment." the feeds 
and then every day we transfer it to one container and on the fourth day it was steaming hot because it's already fermenting it's like decomposing mm-hmm. and that's the time we feed it to the animal and he told me if you let it cool down now it becomes compost it's food for the plant not food for the chicken and it's pre-digested and amazingly oh man you know it's, it's uh, makes the chicken really grow well and you basically don't spend anything because you make your own feeds but the, the secret is fermenting the feeds so it's pre-digested therefore it's easily assimilated by the chicken so the digestion or you hasten the metabolic process mm. of this uh, mm. feed so it's sort of it's sort of like um, kimchi or sauerkraut for chickens Yes, something like that. I mean, the, the whole story about this natural farming, to my opinion, is fermentation, pre-digestion, uh, microbes, and enzymes. Two things I always talk about natural farming. It is the enzyme and it is the microbes. Both two elements digest anything. And when it's properly digested, it's easily assimilated by the plant or the animal. Yes. And I think that's the real beauty of it. That's why, you know, in fact, part of my protocol when I apply some of the technique in the Korean natural farming, uh, let's say, like I, I kind of formulated a way of growth promotant, which is normally... The, the, the thing that we use in natural farming, the classical technique, is the FAA or fish amino acid, high in nitrogen. Therefore, it will help the plant grow faster because of the high nitrogen content. And I add seaweed extract to it in combination because seaweed also have a natural growth hormone. So when you add natural growth hormone, this is technically oxygen, giberlin, and cytokinin. Together with nitrogen, you have a more powerful foliar fertilizer. But I didn't stop there. I add the microbes because it will make the things more bioavailable. So the, the enzymatic effect on the fermented extract is more hastened with the microbial, uh, avail- with the microbes further digesting or metabolizing the raw material that we're using. Right. So it, it basically breaks it down into simple forms that the plant can take up straight away. Because I always believe that uh, everything is transformed into energy. Okay. For example, what I thought when I initiated the natural figuring movement in the Philippines uh, what we I suggested is part of what you feed the pig should be the probiotic. Mm. So it means that when you observe, this is another thing that I always tell my student, it's through observation, it's not through learning from the classical classroom approach. Like when you see the, the shit of the pig or the chicken, you see still some pigs on the on the manure mm. so what does it tell you uh, it, it, it tells you that it's not fully digested when you incorporated 
probiotic either on the feeds or inside the tummy of the animal, you notice that you have less of that uh, less of that feeds. Therefore, less uh, smell because smell is a function of undigested protein. Mm. So therefore, it only tells you you need to put the probiotic and the enzyme to make it more efficient. Therefore, it will save a lot of money for the farmers. The classical farmer would use like four bags of commercial feeds. When you use the probiotic approach, you only use three bags. So when when you feed the animal, it's already pre-digested. So the, the task of the body of the animal is simply to assimilate rather than spend the, the energy to digest the feeds that you gave the animal. That's the basic basis of one thing really amazing about this uh, natural farming technique. It is amazing, isn't it, that it's like nature already has all the systems there. We just need to um, be in tune so that we can utilize those and, and work with them. But also another variation that I tried to do is I remember several years ago, I don't know if you know Steve the Diver of Accra in the U.S. Steve. Well, and Diver. Diver. No, I'm not sure, no. Yeah. Anyway, he is, uh, I believe he's a scientist working for the Department of Agriculture in the U.S. for a while. He was one of my partners when I did a workshop in, in uh, California in 2003. And he was saying there's a, a lot of similarities between the natural farming and biodynamic. Mm. So uh, some of the principle in biodynamic, I also try to apply in in uh, natural farming. Uh, for example, it came to my mind that okay, why why will I use too much sugar? Maybe I can just use less sugar. In fact, eventually. The son of Dr. Cho don't even use sugar mm. at all. Okay, so I use the principle of, you know, like the homeopathic principle that's heavily used in biodynamic. So the more you dilute the product, uh, you save more money, and you simply stimulate the body of the animal or the plant to do its course. So that's another variation that. That's why I changed instead of using too much, uh, so many tablespoons per liter, I make it further diluted. And I use the same principle mm-hmm. that they use in property. That's why when you see a product that I was selling in this country, I use like dilute it with 20 parts water, do this, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And my whole idea is to save money for the farmers. Mm. Okay, and work with what they have. Uh, for example, people try to follow a very strict uh, formulation. Okay, one of my students would call me and he said, "Oh, you said that it should ferment in one week, and it's been two weeks and nothing is happening." And then I told him, "Where are you?" And he said, "I'm inside the refrigerator." I mean, it's just a joke. Yeah. 
So what I'm saying here is everything is relative to the external condition because we don't have controlled condition like in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. Our laboratory is uh, outside uh, world, you know. So, so we try to teach the farmer to understand the very essence of the technique. And as when they are able to understand the very essence of the technique, then they can make the right uh, appropriate uh, adaptation, etc. That's why I, I said in one of my famous interview with uh, Rodale with the in, in internet magazine, the rule is no rule. Mm. The rule is your rule. I mean, you know, and let's not talk about this highfalutin nonsense. Things are really simple. Nature is simple. It is us who complicated things. It's the rationality of minds that makes it irrational, and it's the irrationality that makes us rational. So, you know, let's make it simple. Because we're dealing with common farmers here. Some of my students don't even know how to read and write. So how can I speak in the manner that we speak right now? So, that's very important to me. And if with that type of direction, it creates you more creativity to innovate to make things simple for the ultimate user, which is farmer, gardener, like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to be unscientific, okay? I keep on telling, hey, I'm a Fulbright scholar, so I, I, you know, I need to know science, but yet when you're dealing with a farmer, you cannot be talking about those highfalutin nonsense that even the other scientists do not understand. So that's really the very essence of my advocacy in sharing the technique and to make the farmer creative. Mm. One of my most popular, and I've done this with thousands of farmers in the Philippines, is I said, to be a successful organic farmer, or natural farmer, as the case may be, it's a matter of terminology, I guess, is you have to, you cannot be lazy because hard work is farming. You cannot be stupid. <laughs> I mean, a lot of learned, educated people are actually stupid. It's very theoretical. I mean, like I I remember I have some student here who are agriculturists, and I told this lady, and it was summer. I said, "You water the plant since it's summer." three times a day, 7, 11, and 2 p.m. One day when I was watching her, I said, why are you watering the, the seedling? Because you told me, sir. But isn't it wet? Yeah. So what, what the fuck, you, you're watering the plant when it's wet? Don't you have common sense? And lastly, you have to be creative. You have to try. You have to innovate because when you're up there in the field like what what i told during my workshop in hawaii when you're up there in the field you have problems you don't know what to do you have nobody else to talk to and solve your problem you experience this existential anguish angst and then i said the way to solve your problem is you talk to nature because nature will talk back to you in a different way, in a different dimension, mm -hmm. and it will tell you the way. It is not us, the teacher, 
the real teacher is nature. If we learn how to listen and talk to nature, nature will talk back to us and tell you the answer. Just like the, the dog when they're sick, they just roam around my farm, eat some, some grass or weeds, throw up and they're healed because they're still connected with the natural system. Mm -hmm. It is us with too much knowledge or intellect that uh, we think that we're bigger than the nature. We're not bigger than nature, we're just part of it. And if we have that type of attitude toward farming, we don't need any teacher. We don't need no books. Our ultimate teacher is nature. All we need to do is watch the phenomenon of nature being unfolded in front of you. And that's what I always tell my farmer. And lately, uh, I have told my farmers that before I'm highly concentrated on teaching them production technologies. That's what they're interested in. How do you make this? How do you make that? Lately, I've been incorporating not just this aspect of production technology, but also the farm design and planning. Uh, it's very, in a way, very permaculture. How, what do you do with the land? Where are you going to put the plant? Uh, where is the direction of the wind? Where is the direction of the water, whether the water impounds? Because if you do not take care of that, just the production technology will not do the trick. And that I came out with a very simple guideline that I tell my farmers. Uh, farming is really simple. It's all about stress management. Okay? Because when you get stressed, like uh, I, I, I remember this, I noticed this when I was doing a workshop with Jan Jebon several years ago. I think this was in 1995. I was playing around with the... Uh, with a, with a salad green there, trying, to, and then he said, oh, don't do that. You're hurting the plant. I said, no, I'm just playing with it. But she, I mean, he was really mad at me, <laughs> one of the, the assistant there of Jan. And he started to tell me, see, if you hurt or you, you, you do that, the energy, instead of being dedicated to the growth, is now being dedicated to the repair of the damaged tissue created by you slapping the plant. Mm. That's why I keep on telling my students, you work with, you farm with earth, water, wind, and fire. Earth, a good earth, a good soil should have a lot of organic matter. That's what organic farming is all about. It does, so that's why I tell my students, you don't need soil tests. You don't need to understand the pH, the greatest neutralizer of a good soil is organic matter. With the organic matter, there goes our microbes that regulates acidity and pH of the, of the soil. Water, well, that's simply understood. More than 80% of anything that is alive is made of water. Wind, that's... Because I was telling my farmer here, we have a very interesting vegetable here called bitter melon. Uh, and one of the problems that the farmer has is it started to curl. And the scientists would say, oh, because of maybe malnutrition, maybe of pests. I said, no, the reason why it's curling is because of wind. Mm. See, if, if you get hit by harsh wind, what do you do? You fold. You get cold. 
So you need to do a windbreak of some sort. And of course, sunlight, like anything else, most of what we grow for food needs a lot of sunlight and we forget to, to put the ample sunlight. So it's not just putting a lot of this natural farming inputs, but trying to understand all the elements. After all, natural farming, organic farming, it's all about ecological farming. It's the interrelationship of all this matter. And the more we observe, the more we understand it, the better we become. That's why I keep on telling my students, observe, observe, observe. You don't need to listen to my, to me. Forget about my bullshit. All you need to do is listen to nature because nature will talk back to you and will tell you the answers. Mm. Mm. That's how I try to share my learning. Natural farming, of course, is the center of the sustainable agriculture. I think it's the one revolutionizing uh, organic or sustainable agriculture movement around the globe. Mm. And we should be very thankful, especially to Master Cho, because he's the one who's able to identify and learn this. And, you know, these are all learned from the Japanese. Mm -hmm. They're coming out with a way of doing things. And I, I've learned so much from the Japanese when I was in Japan, when I did an apprenticeship in Japan simple things, and a lot of them, the Eastern agriculture is highly focused on the microbial. Even lately, now you've heard about biochar, mm -hmm. because charcoal, carbon is the base of life. The more carbon you put to the ground, the better the ground becomes, and the more happier our microbe staying in the ground because of the element of carbon. So. I have developed a lot of different techniques like uh, slow release fertilizer using biochar because I want to make things simple. So, and if you simply just experiment, listen and observe, you're in the right track. As I always tell my farmer, I'm not a teacher, I'm just a facilitator. They open the door, you go in and when you're in, do whatever you want. But, you know, I just have to bring you to that edge. How can you learn how to swim if you don't jump in the water? Mm -hmm. So if they're afraid of the water, you, you kind of tell them, hey, do this, do that. And when they're by the edge of the riverbank, you just <laughs> throw them to the water and then they learn how to swim. <laughs> so yep. A lot of people have a lot of hesitancy, procrastination and other uh, things that stop them from doing so. Just like uh, I tell the people in Manila, I think each and every Filipinos, or in, in, in general, each and every human being must learn how to grow their own food. Because one day it will save your life. And that's what exactly what Jebons told me a long, long time ago. Uh, it's not just a matter of being an actual gardener or farmer, but learning hey, how hard, how difficult, to appreciate the people that grow food to make us alive. Mm. As I always said on my seminar, the noblest of all the profession is to be an organic farmer. It's even more noble than being a priest. The priest will talk about, hey, repent and you will be saved. 
here we literally and figuratively grow life as we put the seed on the ground and as we see them grow and if we eat it get the energy and then we become alive so what could be more nobler than that mm. in the same way when i was uh, apprenticing with this biodynamic uh, from south Af uh, america every morning we will go to the field and we will kiss the dirt i said on the third day, why are we kissing the dirt? Because this is, land is sacred. This land is what keeps us alive. So we have to pay respect to the natural system, not to exploit them, but to work with the natural system. And that's the beauty of natural farming. Mm. Talk too much, huh? <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I can tell, um, Gil, that you have a real passion for... Um, um, helping people experience that and, and, and have a passion for the farmers who are actually doing the hard work of producing food. Yes. yes. So what, so what, um, what, uh, where are you now? Like you, you've gone through uh, a bunch of different, um, stages in your life and now it seems like you're, you're doing lots of, um, teaching and setting up new projects. Tell us what's going on for you uh, in this stage of life. Yeah, I've really slowed down. For uh, several years, I've been focusing on teaching farmers uh, in the Philippines. Uh, since about last year, I've also done some workshop in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, in Cambodia. Of course, I've done workshop in, in the U.S., and mainly in California and in Hawaii. But I have really scaled down. I'm selling my farm because I'm now a victim of development. My farm will eventually, I will be forced to sell it whether I like it or not because the subdivision, the development is around. Mm. So it's uh, really stupid to keep the farm. Aside from the fact I need some cash flow to take care of my son. Mm. With an anyway, so I'm moving now from the direction of establishing a small eco-village. Because uh, several years ago, I created a module, a model of mini farm, okay? Uh, based on 1,000 square meter of land, fully integrated with the basic food that Filipinos eat. So we have piggery, natural piggery, the, you know, piggery with no smell. We have the chicken, we have the fish, we have the veggies. Uh, and it's highly focused on uh, what Jebons has been saying. Uh, there's a diet garden for food self-sufficiency income because you cannot grow salt and clothes. You need some money. And most importantly, it is the compost crop that he talks about or keeping the land fertile by planting or growing food that will sustain the soil fertility. Mm. This mini farm concept, I've been teaching the farmer. So now I, I've gone from production technology to farm design, farm planning, using a mini farm model. And when the farmer adopt this or collectively, it becomes now a collective uh, farming. Like if they have a market that needs one ton of veggies, you cannot do it on your own, then you can collaborate with other farmers. So we have collective farming. Mm -hmm. You're independent, yet you collectively cooperate. 
And this will be the basis of what we call sustainable communities, which is the very essence of eco-villages. So now, since I, I really have a dream of creating a big eco-village in the Philippines, it's hard to get a big chunk of land. I was looking at a thousand hectares uh, that will, I, I'll, I'll provide five hectares for each farmer then. But the problem is you don't just get a thousand hectares. So you go into the commercial, I mean, to the government land or the indigenous people's uh, land. So I said, I'll just make it in a small uh, small model. And now I'm moving to an island in Lake Taal to set up this small eco-village based on sustainability principle, hopefully totally off the grid. So we're now looking in not just in organic food, we have herbal alternative medicine, we have off the grid, the solar power, etc. You're creating a whole enchilada, hopefully of a modern Garden of Eden as reflected in the Bible, you know. Uh, you know, it's a dream. <laughs> and I keep on telling my student, hey, it doesn't matter what age you are, you have to be a dreamer, you have to dream. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, people who do, who do not dream, do not, uh, people who does not dream, do not deserve to be alive. Mm. Because when you dream, you become creative, you keep, you keep on going, you keep on trying to do things. If you're just contented, you just sit, especially me, I'm already old. I don't want to be sitting on my ass, retiring and doing nothing. So despite my age, you'll come to this point in life too, still young. You just keep on going and to dream. And I think life is really based on the land. It is the land that will keep us alive. So the eco-village I'm developing is based on the land, not on all those spiritual etc. No, it's really based on the land. Let's look at the land that keeps us alive. And this is the, my new direction in my last hurrah in life. I'm already 67 years old. Mm -hmm. I hope I'll be as old as uh, Bill Mollison. When did Bill Mollison die? It was like was he already 90 years old or 87? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I know it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Just, just a few years ago. Mm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, it's really uh, sounds similar, Gil, to uh, the One Straw Revolution. And, and that really changed me the way that I'm looking at everything is like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not about more production. It's about being in, in, that, in that dance with nature and being on a scale that's on a human scale rather than on a scale of a tractor or, or yeah, anything else. Are you talking about the one straw revolution? That's right, yeah. I I also read that. In fact, I met the guy when he came to the Philippines. Oh, okay. I had a little book with his uh, signature at that time. I think he was 87 years old because he's a Ramon Magsaysay Award in the Philippines, which is the equivalent of Asian Nobel Prize. Mm, okay. I, I met the guy. Of course, very interesting guy. And good technique. But sometimes the the people in the food production find it 
very difficult technique. I said, hey, and of all the technique that I've seen, which is easier and highly applicable, is actually the natural farming technique, which mm -hmm. is essentially uh, an essence of the, the Japanese system, the Korean system. Of course, the guy who really promoted it well is Dr. Cho. But uh, when I was in Japan, I learned from a lot of natural farmers. Their very essence or focus is in the in the microbes. Even lately, you know, the use of uh, you know wood vinegar—that's a Japanese technology. Okay. Extraction of yeah. that, extraction through making charcoal. So it's more subtle or more more profound than simple extraction. When you burn the wood, the very nutrient in the wood is evaporated and turned into liquid, which we call wood vinegar. And hey, man, it's also a way of extraction of the basic nutrient on what you make it into charcoal. So when you try to mix this up together, you become more... In fact, I think I learned the biochar technique when I was in Hawaii. There's a lot of natural farmer there. I, rem I don't remember his name, but he went uh, and he was doing biochar. But then I learned something else observing him. I said, I'll make the biochar the actual fertilizer on a slow release technique. Uh, I'm working on that. Yeah, yeah, biochar. We've done a uh, biochar kiln. And then just playing around with, you know, how do, how do you inoculate it? Inoculate it with different things, the IMOs and, you know, adding some clay and all those sort of different things. In, in your country, uh, the one very famous is the, the key line technique. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the way they, they till the soil for the pasture. Now, I think I have seen it in the internet that now they're spraying microbes as they till the land. You know, not the regular this of tillage, but you know, just a line till to aerate the land. So the microbe will be healthier and then you inoculate, spray it together with the microbe. Oh, interesting. So I didn't I haven't heard of that yet. So they're using the key line plow and they're spraying the microbes yeah, after. It's a spray where you put the, our fermented, whatever, our IMO, our fermented plant juice. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It makes a lot of sense, man. And, uh, and like you said, you know, you need to adapt it for each climate. You're in the tropics, um, so maybe that's applicable in Hawaii, but not so applicable in um, you know, Northern California or somewhere, or da even down here in Perth, Western Australia, where it's hot and dry, so it's a Mediterranean climate. We've got to adapt that a little bit, don't we? But that's one thing interesting. Uh, there is one thing I, I try to improve on. I, I normally term it uh, plant-specific microbes. For example, even on dry, arid land, there are microbes there that have survived. Mm. Even on boiling uh, water of certain types of spring. So if you collect that and then you apply it to your situation, then it will be able to do its, its work. That's why I call it very specific to the site or to your circumstances. Mm. That's why 
I collect microbes in the Philippines, lowland, upland, midland, here and there. So it's like a generic one. So when when somebody wants to avail of it, oh, where are you growing? Oh, I, I'm growing in the lowland. Oh, you can use this. Oh, I'm growing in the upland. You can still use this. Mm. So it's mm. like a cocktail. But I, I teach people to be very specific on their site, on their location. You collect what is around you. That's why, that's one thing beauty about indigenous local. Mm-hmm. Not important, the, the famous uh, effective microorganism could be imported from somewhere. It's, it has to be very specific. It has to be indigenous. That's right. In yeah. fact, that's uh, beauty. Even Elaine Ingham talk about that. But of course, Elaine always talk about the, the an, uh, aerobic rather than anaerobes. But I said, I think the anaerobes do a better job. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's really easier. For example, uh, I'll tell you several years ago, I have a farmer who was who wanted to convert his rice field to organic. So the approach is the compost approach. Put compost, and I said, per hectare, if you use pure compost on your own, by compost, you need to put 60 bags of compost. When you use chemical, you only need 12, 12 bags. Of course, we try to do away with the chemical. So, that posed a problem. I told myself, is there a better way so this farmer can be helped rather than using 60 bags? Mm. So I was able to develop a system wherein he will only use 24 bags instead of 12 or instead of 60. Mm. And because at the end of the day, we cannot really compete with uh, inorganic. That's only the, its purest form. But uh, the more we add the microbe to make, the more it be able to enhance the epi- efficacy of what we put on the ground or, or to the plant. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the kind of variation. And I said, people are complaining about composting that you have to turn it around, you have to erase the classical technique. So I said, maybe there's another way. Let's do anaerobic. But then, you have to use anaerobic microbes too. If not, it's not going to work well. Mm. And that's the beauty of the probiotic that we always talk about, the lactic acid bacteria, which can work with or without oxygen. It's a facultative microbe. And that's the beauty of it. I said, if I put this, then I don't have to turn the pile. And if the compost is not uh, potent enough, you know what I do? I just add the extract. Mm, mm-hmm. You need more nitrogen, or you put more fish amino acid, you need more minerals, you put seaweed extra, etc., etc., etc. It's actually a common sense. And one of the tasks as a teacher is really to teach the farmer how to think, how to be creative. Mm. Because at the end of the day, uh, I can teach technology in 30 minutes, but you need to know the essence so you can make adjustments if it's not available. I mean, like once to the mindset, said, hey, I only have uh, 30% sugar, uh, 20%. I mean, I say, do it and see what the result is. And then you can make adjustments later on. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't believe so much on formula. They're all man-made anyway, but of course it's a guideline you have to work with this and then improve on it. But don't ever tell me that it's not going to work. Mm, mm-hmm. That's what you I know? liked about um, when you did have your your unconventional farmer side up. There were all the the uh, you could tell that all the um, processes and everything that you had on there were um, things that you have come up for where you're at and and it's sort of more like a guide rather than this is exactly how you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not available anymore. Where where What's happened to that? Well, actually, the guy, Patrick, one of my students who created that site, because I was just in and out of that site, really, uh, I think uh, he stopped it. And I think one guy from America took the name so when you Google it, unconventional farmer supply, and it's still posted in the site. Right, yeah, okay. But you did write a book as well, didn't you? Uh, I did only a very small booklet. Uh, originally was uh, published by Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, etc. It's only 17 pages, the basic. But now I'm trying to retire and I'm trying to make a book. Okay. All right. Beyond this microbial, you know, it's a whole journey to this sustainable path in agriculture. I hope to be able to do it before I die. Mm Well, I have found the uh, that book, the Grow Your Own Beneficial Indigenous Microorganisms and Bionutrients in Natural Farming. So I'll, I'm happy to put a link up for that. And whenever you do have a book, I'm happy to promote that one for you as well. Sure, sure. Uh, I just need to put a time frame. Right now, I'm going back to the island, uh, making some cub houses. I love playing with my hand, putting the mud, doing this. Sometimes I forget to sit down uh, and write. I understand. And but... talk to people like you. <laughs> yeah. Among other things. Yeah, yeah. So can you explain to us from, um, say, I'm in Perth here, and so I know where Manila is. From Manila, how mm-hmm. do you get to this new eco-village that you're, you're um, building? Actually, it's about uh, 60 kilometers from Manila. Oh, okay. Not too far away. Uh, in fact, uh, you can Google it, the, uh, at least the island. Uh, it's in, it's in, in Taal Volcano, Lake Taal. Lake Taal. Uh, it's called Napayong Island, N-A-P-A-Y-O-N-G. Okay. Or sometimes it's called Laurel, Laurel Island. Or Laurel Island, okay. That's uh, the okay. So there's, uh, I have a newer project since I will be staying most of my time in the island to create this small eco village, which is a basic component. Will be on the lake shore. We'll have a backpackers haven because I still need some some income and still open to volunteers and backpackers. And in the middle of the slope, we'll build uh, artists small artist colony and intentional community mm, mm-hmm. people who are interested uh, to the philosophy of sustainable living can hang out there and provide a cub house, a garden, and on the top of the island are mini farm. And that will provide a basic uh, food self-sufficiency to the user 
visitors and residents of that particular place. Now, the lake is a very clean lake. Now it's getting polluted. And I talked to the one of the regional director of the Department of the Environment here in this country. And there's several pollutants that needs to be taken care of. Just like what they did in the famous Boracay beach in the Philippines. So before it happens that way, I think we have to tell the stakeholders around the lake to take care of the land, take care of the waste, etc. Mm. So figure out this director wanted to use the the you know the the dirt created you know in the lake and do an organic farming. So I said, why don't we do it this way? I'll set up the model of a mini farm integrated that will provide livelihood to the people and all the resort there now will have a bailment of organic food rather than conventional food at the same time cleaning the lake by not putting dirt or waste to the lake and one of the other major polluters there is for example the piggery because the local backyard piggery they just put, let the shit goes to the lake mm -hmm. So if they practice the natural piggery, they don't create that kind of problem. Yeah. Uh, there's also a polytant on the aquaculture, the commercial aquaculture. I said, you put the probiotic on the pigs and that will lessen the, the waste. The, it will degrade the pigs better so you don't create the smell, the pollution. But there are things that can be done. And it's just a matter of me, I like creating models for people to see and learn from. Because I cannot teach the whole country of everything, but you know, a certain, you see, oh, is that how you make piggery without no smell? Then people will kind of adapt and copy it. And that's the whole idea of creating uh, model farms mm -hmm. around the area. And a friend of mine from the Department of Agriculture said, when this becomes uh, successful, then it can be adapted by the government to be promoted around the country. I said, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want <laughs> it. I've done that too long already. So that's why I have to create the book. I have to create certain manual, uh, including uh, so uh, waste management. For example, STP. Most of our uh, uh, Sewage uh, treatment plant is based on the American model. Good, you're not American, you're Australian. <laughs> uh, they use a lot of big machine, aerator, blah, blah, blah. I said, you don't have to do that. Yeah. All you need to do is use the microbe. The microbe can clean the lake. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I've seen it. I just put the beam on the dirty and eventually it cleans up because the micro will, will hurt the dirt. So I have created a biofiltration system out of the typical gravel, sand, charcoal, but then we always inoculated with our microbes. Because he said, if you just do this physical filtration, you need a big, big system. And I'm, I'm highly focused on mini, mini system. Mm -hmm. So I said, Put the microbes. The microbes is much smaller than anything else. <laughs> yeah. But they work 
like giants. Uh, that's the key. And now, I, now, I'm trying to do that. Let, let's make a distinction here too, because this is what I really love talking about is the microbes. And you mentioned the uh, sort of the famous EM that most people know about. Um, and then some people know about the Korean natural farming indigenous microorganisms. Yeah, then, then you have uh, the BIM, beneficial indigenous microbes. Is that right? Yeah. And they're sort of all do the same thing, but we collect them in different ways. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, let me put it this way. If you talk about the EM, the effective microorganism of Dr. Higa, it's essentially a scientific collection of, I think, five different types of microbes, mm -hmm. okay? Essentially. And they are normally cultured in the laboratory, okay? When you talk about IMO of Dr. Cho, it's a collection from the indigenous area where you are. But it's very specific, okay? What I did is to kind of come out with a certain type of formula. For example, when I attended one of the uh, workshop of Elaine Ingham, who is a microbiologist, he talks about the ecological succession, the, what, he, what she calls highly bacterial in association, highly fungal association. When you look at the natural system, the grassland is highly bacterial. The forest land is highly fungal in association. So it came to my mind that I should come out with a certain formulation. Okay. How much bacteria, how much fungi relative to how you're going to use it. Like, for example, on Dr. Cho, he'll teach you make bamboo microbes or make bamboo collected from the forest. Me, what I did is I do a combination of all of those based on the final recipient. For example, most of the recipients, they are vegetable grower, okay? So when you look at the vegetable, vegetables are generally highly bacterial in nature because it needs a lot of sunlight, like weeds. They are actually weeds, so... So what I do is I try to emphasize the high uh, bacterial collection of microbes. So you don't collect the microbe from the forest, but you probably collect it from the bamboo or from the grassland mm. and vice versa. So I came out with a certain formula. But again, as I've said in the booklet, the main workhorse is the lactic acid bacteria because its ability because it's the main pro, pro, uh, dominant microbes in our gut system mm. and can work with or without oxygen. So I, I kind of come out with a very specific formula guideline, and that's what I call BIM. Beneficial, so I don't collect something that may be pathogenic in the natural system. Like I teach my student, how do you know if you're collecting the right microbe, you look at the tree. If the tree is dying, don't collect from there. Yeah. It's common. I mean, the, the thing is dying, maybe it's disease. So mm. collect it from the, the healthy material. Mm. Indigenous meaning it's local within your area. Like you're in Perth, mm -hmm. then you collect it from Perth. 
So that's what you do. You you teach the farmer their own version of their own bean. So it's not just specific. It's a collection. You create a biodiverse approach. After all, maybe the one that you will collect is not even in in the books because generally barely have we dent not even two or three percent of all these microbes in the earth. So that's the right. more mature area that you collect from the more powerful microbes that you can get. In, in fact, I used to have uh, material that I collected from, wow, man, this, I, I've seen these trees in South Philippines in Mindanao. You step on the ground, it's, it's, it's look like a foam and the litter is more than one meter deep. And oh, it's wow. been and the food so big. I said, there's microbe here and I don't care what it is. What I'm gonna do is collect it and then I add it to my, beam collection so your beam may be different from my beam mm. and of course the effective microorganism is highly collected or grown in the laboratory my laboratory as a natural farmer is right here outside after all if you remember Learning the academe is really not in the classroom, it's in the outside world. That's what the academe, academia come from. So I try to collect it from the outside world and get as much collection. And you do testing here and there. If it doesn't work, I just let go. That's why I keep on telling my farmer, you cannot find a solution, just don't do anything. Nature will make its own correction and you observe and you'll say, oh, oh my God, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. True, we thought that we're, we're everything because of our intellect. It's not true. Mm. We're just part of the natural system. We cannot be bigger than the natural system. That's right. Anyway, yeah. well, that's the kind of microbe that we try to collect. And that is basically what I said. What beam, my beam, as it's not now known, so you, you follow certain way of collection, then that's a beam. You follow very specific collection that could be IMO1, IMO2, etc. You buy the effective microorganism and then bring out your Australian dollars. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Although, although I don't mind recommending that for people who don't necessarily want to go or aren't into farming or even into gardening, but they want to help their plants and say, well, why don't you start with this? Because I hope that I try and hook them into seeing that there's, there's something more beneficial, you know? So I'm, I'm, yeah, not, I'm not opposed to um, promoting that, although I do like to promote the Korean natural farming. <laughs> With that, in fact, I started first before I get entangled with the IMO of Dr. Cho. I already been using EM, but my question is this: How come they just tell me how to replicate it or extend it? I want to know how to make the microbe. They will never tell you. That's right. Yeah. So that's the beauty of Dr. Cho. So he's really. Well, you have, he's a pastor, so he wants to share. Mm. And I just try to improve on what he did and uh, trying to share the things because the idea is, that's why I even do development. The idea is to advocate the use of the sustainable uh, agricultural technique to get rid 
or minimize this pollution and this chemical that's killing killing us every single hour. Uh, mm. If you are able to see the farmer, show the farmer the alternative system, they will adapt it. But it has to be simple and it has to be really productive. They said, oh, uh, that's too much work, then I'll just use chemical. I just drop the urea and it's easy. Mm. So we, we try to make it simple. I love it, Gil. Your your passion for for farming and for helping the farmers really comes out, and your passion to keep it simple. Um, I really, really appreciate that, and I would love to touch base with you in the future to see how your eco village is going, and even would love to come up and uh, and uh, come and visit. You know, you're only eight hours away from the Philippines. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me know. I mean, you know. I, I make it work there. Oh, yeah. But I repeat. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was looking at the flights to the Philippines, to Manila, and I can get a flight for about the same cost that it, that, that it, uh, price that it takes me to go from Perth to Sydney, Australia. I can get. Really? <laughs> yeah. If I get a good deal. So there you go. I, I have not been to Perth. I, I've been to Australia in 73, Sydney, Adelaide. And Melbourne. Okay. Uh, I didn't have the chance to go to Perth, but I, I used to have a client in Melbourne. It's a nice country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Gil, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there. So thank you very much sure. for your time. Is there any um, places that you would want to recommend people get uh, uh, information from? I'll put up the link to your book. But any other things online or on Facebook that you would want to um, recommend to Absolutely. people? Uh, to make it simple, people who are beginner, I think my classic booklet is what they can really, you know, get hold of the indigenous microorganism grow your own, which was which I published actually as uh, when I was doing a workshop in California. Mm. And anyway, I used to sell them, but it's been in the all, all over the side. So <laughs> just tell them to Google it, and it's available. Okay. Not just in your side, but any other side. It's just available. And that's the start of it. Since the unconventional farmer.com is not available anymore. But I think the formulation is still there. You just Google unconventional farmer is still there. Sure. Uh, taken yeah. by this American guy. I, I talked to him. I said, no problem with you posting it. At least uh, people, the idea is to share the information. That's right, yeah. But my, my true idea nowadays is to share the thinking system so we can improve on this information. Fantastic. Well, Gil, uh, thank you for being on The Probiotic Life. No problem. My pleasure. I love the fact that Gil is actually out there teaching people how to farm, how to think for themselves. These farmers who are actually, they need to farm to survive. They're living off the land. He's helping them to think outside that square. You can find the links in the show notes that we talked about. uh, And you can find Gil on Facebook now, which is fantastic because he was a bit elusive before, but now he's on Facebook. Go check that out. The link's in the show notes. And um, I'd love to hear about how you are living a probiotic life, reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook and let us know what you think. What does it mean to live a probiotic life?
probiotic life, a life connected to nature, connected to the microbes. So thanks for joining me today. May the beneficial microbes be with you. And until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life. Awesome. That's great. That's fantastic.